0: Episodes of IDOLO are presented in both English and Spanish. This is the English version. Si quieres escuchar en español, vuelve al feed. Y selecciona el título en español. This podcast contains graphic language, scenes of violence, and drug use that are not suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. Episode 8. Life After Death. I was having mariscos in Linwood one Thursday in October of 2019 when my phone started to blow up. It was reporter friends of mine asking me for insight into something big that was happening in Culiacán, a day of brazen cartel violence in the middle of Sinaloa's capital that would go down in infamy, as Jueves Negro, Black Thursday, or El Culiacanazo. Thursday, October 17th, 4.47 p.m. Rio Doce, a newspaper in Sinaloa, posts a video on their feed. In it, there's this white truck with some guys hanging off the back, heavily armed and draped in bulletproof vests. One of them has his face covered with a ski mask and holds an AK. The other man has a black mustache and holds a caliber fifty Beretta, the same one that Stallone used in Rambo. Sidber Mesa, a journalist in Sinaloa, vividly remembers the day. Era un día normal. Era un día como cualquier otro. Era como este día. It was a normal day, he said, literally just like any other. Normal, except that soldiers were conducting a raid to capture Ovidio Guzmán, son of El Chapo.
1: En cuestión de minutos, la ciudad se movilizó, se paralizó y fue un momento donde, pues, parecía un campo de batalla.
0: The Sinaloa cartel blocked entrance points to the city with stolen cars they torched and used as checkpoints. It was like a battlefield. Hay una fuerte balacera en el sector del Avenida Universitarios y Gunfights erupted in the streets between the cartel and the military. There were people trapped in stores, banks, restaurants, while others abandoned their cars and fled to the nearest somewhat secure location. The city was being held hostage by organized crime. By 6:30 p.m., a video circulated on social media confirming that members of the Sinaloa cartel had liberated about 30 criminal inmates from Culiacán's county jail.
2: Los están liberando.
0: All of this because the military succeeded in arresting Ovidio Guzmán and Chapel's son. The moment showing the arrests began to make the rounds online. Three soldiers are in a garage next to a house. Arms up! Ovidio, come out! They yell. One of the men turns him around, pushing him against the wall while forcing him to his knees. Then they hand him a cell phone. They tell him to tell his people to stop. Ovidio dials a number and puts the phone to his ear. But despite Ovidio's order to his people to stop everything, it didn't stop the rest of the world looked on like spectators in a sick game, watching the story unravel through our cell phone screens like an action movie. The cartel's next move was to identify the families of the soldiers, threatening to kill their families if things didn't end the way they wanted it to. By 10.30 p.m., news started to circulate that the Mexican government decided to liberate Ovidio Guzman, the order coming from the president himself, in the name of protecting soldiers and their families. In the end, eight people died, and 19 were wounded. This was the day when the state surrendered to a drug lord, and when organized crime demonstrated just how easy they could submit an entire population. But sitting there with my mariscos, the first person I thought about was Chalino. Because he's part of this too. Because real talk, you could argue that he helped pave the way for this normalization of violence. For Futuro Studios and Sonoro, in association with Cinelo Productions, I'm Eric Galindo, and this is Idolo, the Ballad of Chalino Sanchez a show about the man who would become known as the godfather of narcocorridos, whose life would become its own kind of legendary drug ballad. Jueves Negro was one of the first times I can remember really being grateful my parents left Sinaloa. And Americans, to me, seemed obsessed with it. It was like we were all watching a scene from Narcos on Netflix, but it was happening live. And when I think about all of that in the context of my love for Chalino Sanchez, it kind of fucks with me. It makes me wonder what Chalino's legacy is. And in this final episode, we're going to get into that. On one hand, Chalino really connected Mexican American kids like me to their roots. I grew up loving Chalino. I liked that he was a tough motherfucker. He showed me a very Mexican way of being cool. And for kids of immigrants, that could mean a lot. Chalino also meant a lot to Verenice Ponce Soria.
3: Hearing Chalino's voice, it was like a source of strength.
0: Her dad loved Chalino, and she would listen to his music in their house in North Carolina. But when Verenice left home for college, she felt kind of lost.
3: When I was in these academic spaces where I didn't feel like I belong, especially like in higher education, I was still away from my family and I wanted, you know, my dad's hugs. I wanted my dad, like, I wanted to feel his presence and my mom and I wanted to feel that family environment. And so when I think about like, what could I do?
0: What she did was she bumped some Chalino.
3: That's what brought it. Like, that's what brought my sense of connection to home. You know, everything's telling you you don't belong here. And you got Chalino Sanchez, or at least I got Chalino Sanchez on my headphones. Like, that's a source of, like, strength and resistance. It's like, yes, like, you belong here. This is who you are. Like, being Mexican is a strength. And, you know, you don't ever have to give up a part of you to fit in somewhere else.
0: Chalino playing in the headphones is like having a cool deal with you wherever you go. Like carrying your culture in your pocket. And Chalino's a big part of a very specific culture that I'm part of. L.A. Mexican. You know, an L.A. Mexican is is
3: someone who's a hybrid and lives in this hyphen.
0: That's my friend, and Univision anchor Yarre Ramos.
3: An L.A. Mexican is someone who's connected to their roots in some way, who lives and breathes L.A., who's proud of their city. But who's also proud of their Mexican heritage, who rocks an LA Dodger hat, but also bumps, you know, Chalino or Tigres or Tucanes or Van del Recodo proudly in the car, no matter where you're at.
0: That LA Mexican culture, it didn't just happen. Chalino's rise and untimely death was a moment to help build it.
3: popularity in Los Angeles, I think was a wake-up call.
0: That's USC professor Josh Kuhn.
3: Wake-up call to Mexican and Mexican-American youth in L.A. to say, we're going to own our culture. We're going to celebrate who we are.
0: It made people like my older brother go from bumping fat hip-hop beats and wearing locs to rocking cowboy boots and blasting acordeon and bajo sexto. For an entire generation of L.A. kids, Chalino was the gateway to their parents' Mexican culture. And Chalino had a huge impact on the evolution of the regional Mexican genre. You can hear his influence in the vocal styles of corridos blasting out of trucks from LA to Culiacán. And he put the spotlight on Los Angeles.
3: And I believe it's true that LA is the music industry capital of regional Mexican music, of which corridos and arco corridos are a central part. LA is the capital. Chalino was instrumental in making that happen.
0: With his stories about outlaws and narcos, Chalino helped revive the popularity of the corrido, presented it to a wider audience, and inspired other artists to take the music forward. And he inspired artists from other genres.
4: Hey, nosotros somos-
0: Like Santa Fe Clan, one of the it boys of Mexican hip hop. Dude is covered in tattoos and looks like somebody you don't want to piss off.
1: Yo lo sigo escuchando desde que me acuerdo. Es como a, a alguien de mucho respeto aquí en México, no solo de, de ese género, sino siento que todos los géneros respetan a Chalino.
0: He's a fan and says he's been listening to Chalino ever since he can remember.
1: A veces hasta pongo corridos perrones Chalino y y siempre me encuentro con cosas de la vida, con cosas que cuenta, de cómo es el amor, cómo es la vida.
0: When he puts on Chalino's music, he still finds things that inspire him. About love, about everyday life. So yeah, even rappers fuck with Chalino. Here's Santa Fe clan banging out the classic Nieves de Nero on guitar. For me, it's easy to get lost in the romantic symbolism of Chalino, but there are a lot of dark sides that are hard to ignore.
3: I think a lot of the things that Chalino represents are icky.
0: That's musician Renee Gauss. She's a fan of corridos.
3: I do love the sounds, for sure. I love accordion. I love the tuba. I've included them in my upcoming album, actually.
0: But she takes issue with a lot of the lyrical content of the genre, including Chalinos.
3: There's things about it that I have to say are rescuable just because he was speaking from the heart about the things that he lived You know, he wasn't really making these stories up. And these stories are the day-to-day lives of many Mexican men, you know, where unfortunately they have been raised. And I have to say, we have been raised with toxic masculinity.
0: And Rene says toxic masculinity is all over Chalinos Poridos, from glorifying violence, even to his lyrics about love. I think
3: in Mexico, there is this great perception that men have to stand up for women, but that also sort of disempowers women in saying that we can't stand up for ourselves. And I think you see it in a lot of ways, like chauvinism and romantic love is really popular in these music genres, and also treating women like objects. There's one really famous one that says, what's your favorite animal? And he says, women. You know, we hear there's 11 femicides in Mexico a day. And when you hear this music being made with these lyrics that promote this violence against women, uh, it's no surprise that there's so much violence.
0: Damn. As cis men, we don't really have to worry about being called animals or treated like objects or being kidnapped and killed on our way home from work. And to be honest, the toxic masculinity in the lyrics goes over our heads sometimes. I know that's true for me. When I was a kid, I loved Chalino, basically because he was a badass. And I wanted to be a badass. And that has a lot to do with what attracted me to tell his story. But now, after months of talking to people about his legacy, I can see that in part, it's also Chalino's brand of masculinity that seduced me. The kind of masculinity that keeps playing gigs after being shot. The kind that keeps singing after receiving a death note. The kind of masculinity that doesn't hide. That doesn't give a fuck. But I've been realizing more and more now that that masculinity is also intertwined with machismo. With violence. With death. But this seduction, it didn't start or end with Chalino. Chalino. I also see it in the world's obsession with another Sinaloense outlaw. The notorious drug lord El Chapo, who escaped months ago, tonight captured. The the world's most wanted, most dangerous drug lord, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, back in Mexican custody tonight. I'm not pinning Chapo Guzman on Chalino, but I think Chalino created the foundation for the mainstreaming of narcos as celebrities. After all, his corridos told stories about hombres bravos, brave men... Outlaws. Crime bosses. He's saying other things too, but he created, at least in my mind, some of the first mainstream tales of Mexicans as the protagonists of their own stories. Sure, they were outlaws, but at least they weren't parodies. And honestly, who doesn't love an antihero? The idea of the antihero, it's very popular for people because it provides a fantasy. That's San Diego State Professor Juan Carlos Ramírez Pimienta.
1: It provides a fantasy of somebody who might do things that you would like to do in some
0: instances, but you are not able to do. But the thing about narco culture, it's not a movie or a show. In the United States, there's a clear separation. You know, you see The Sopranos or you see Breaking Bad or you see
1: the newest series you turn off the television or your uh, computer and you go out and you go get a pizza and most of the times it's okay. In countries like Mexico, you will go out, you will watch narcos, and then you will go out in your colonia, in your neighborhood, and narcos will extend to real life also.
0: (laughs) And that's what is dangerous to me. And in Mexico, in recent years, it's got an extremely real So many people have died. And that means we have to take a hard look at Nautical culture and what it means. The Nautical culture that Chalino helped start would change and morph over the years in some pretty dark ways. In 2006, there was news that shocked Mexico. In Uruapan, Michoacán, a group of armed men Entered a strip club and dropped the heads of five men on the floor to send a message. This event was only the beginning of a sadistic wave of violence which hit all of Mexico.
1: Sucesos como el que hoy lamentamos profundamente son un recordatorio de que enfrentamos un enemigo común y de que no podemos cejar en la lucha contra él. Y esa es precisamente la razón por la cual el Gobierno Federal combate con toda la fuerza del Estado. A la delincuencia organizada.
0: That year, Felipe Calderón, former president of Mexico, openly declared war on drug trafficking. That destabilized the areas the cartels operated in and caused them to start fighting for territory. Violence became the norm, and little by little, Mexicans began to desensitize to it. The constant photos of dead bodies, you get used to it. But the blood and guts wasn't just in the newspapers. Around 2008, a new subgenre of corridos started to appear. The so-called Movimiento Alterado, or the Altered Movement, started making what they called corridos enfermos, sick corridos. The corridos enfermos weren't just about drug trafficking. It was about grisly murders. And who could sow more fear onto their enemies from the sadistic methods of killing? Like this song. Los sanguinarios del M1. The AK-47 and tuba combo is never not going to be crazy to me. Although this Alterado movement was created in Sinaloa, it was actually in Los Angeles, where it was popularized and distributed back to Mexico. Here's Professor Juan Antonio Fernández Velázquez.
4: There are two things that I think are important. The influence of the de media and the Internet, especially in the beginning of the year 2000, where the social networks are etc. And the young people have access to these music through digital downloads.
0: He says that this style caught on for two reasons. News outlets that gave it a lot of press and the internet. Since these songs were too violent for radio play, you could just upload it directly to YouTube and distribute from there. Something similar to what happened with Chalino years before when at first radio stations wouldn't play his music because it talked about nauticals. Nacho, Chalino's friend and bandmate, says that back in the day, at least his corridos had honor.
1: Corridos bonito de que alguien traía pistola y que era bravo y que mataba frente a frente, pero pues eran corridos
0: bonitos. They were about brave men who carried guns and if they killed, Nacho says, it was face to face, man to man. Nacho says nowadays it's just violence for violence' sake. Ahora
1: ya se salieron mucho. Ya corridos que mucha cabeza, y que, que nada. A mí no me gustan ya. Hay, hay muchachitos ahí que son cantantes y salen con cuernos y que arrancan la pistola. ¿Qué es eso? ¿Qué onda? ¿Eres cantante güey?
0: Nowadays artists come out with pistols and AKs in their videos. Are they singers or killers? It's stupidity, Nacho says.
1: Es una tontería. Para mí yo yo les quiero decir a todos los cantantes. Que salen con rifles, con pistola.
0: And he has a message for the artist. Stop it. Párenle, párenle, plebe. Because the only place that's going to take you is death. Porque eso es la muerte. Although Chalino's murder was one of the first within the Mexican regional genre, so many other musicians have followed the same fate. There was Luis Mendoza from Los Ronaldos, shot and killed along with his manager while they were in their car. Sergio Gomez from Capaz de la Sierra, who was found in 2007 with signs of torture. Sergio Vega, Ed Shaka, who was on his way to one of his shows when he was intercepted by two cars with Hitman. He was shot more than 30 times in the throat and head. And in a case that's straight out of a horror film, there's the story of Combo Colombia, a music group that was supposedly supported by the Setas cartel. But when they began to do shows for other cartels, it made the Setas angry. According to some versions, Combo Colombia were hired to play by the Setas, And yet, yeah, they played for two hours for some hitmen, before being killed by their very audience. Seventeen men were murdered, including the musicians and staff who traveled with them. Altogether, the human cost of the drug war is almost impossible to wrap your head around. Between 2007 and May of 2021, 350,000 people have been murdered, and 72,000 are still missing. And the numbers are still rising. And since Mexicans have become desensitized to it all, the violence blends into entertainment. culture is of course the symptom, not the disease, but it's everywhere now. Narco language has infiltrated Mexican Spanish. Like fiero pariente. Basically, let's shoot them up, homie. For example, wanna get some beers? Fiero pariente. Narco fashion is also part of regular life in Mexico, and in part inherited from Chalino. Flashy silk shirts, boots, gold on the wrist and neck, hat. And narco culture doesn't just seduce men. There are cases like Violeta La Plebe Parandera, who was called La Diva del Corrido, who sang appealing to women who aspire to be romantic partners of drug traffickers. And then there's the story of Chalino's own son, Adán Sánchez, who followed in his father's footsteps. Adán was only eight years old when Chalino was assassinated. But from a young age, he wanted to dedicate himself to music. And two years later, when he was only 10 years old, he began his career and released his first album, Soy el Hijo de Chalino. Based in Los Angeles, Adán began to become popular with young Mexican-Americans in California. And in 2004, he became the first regional Mexican music artist to sell out the Kodak Theater in Hollywood. It was the biggest show of his career. A week after the show, Adán traveled to Sinaloa on a promo tour, just as his father did years before. Adán and a few others were traveling on the road in a pickup truck when one of the tires blew out and caused the car to roll over. Everyone survived except Adan, who was not wearing a seatbelt. The official said there was no sign to foul play and that this incident was just a tragic accident. But given the story of his father, the chismes were inevitable. I've been thinking a lot about Chelino's legacy and why I spent so much time wanting to tell his story. I think Chalino represented something to me as a kid that I valued a lot. He was one of the first Mexicans I knew from the hood to make something of himself. To break out of what sometimes feels like a scary destiny. And in that way, he represented hope to me. I felt like his story needed to be told because it could have been my uncle's story. Or my brother's story. Or, well, mine. I was thinking about that last spring when I drove back to the Compton-Paramount border, where I spent much of my childhood. I was thinking about it when I parked outside a nice white house with a large tree and a metal fence protecting it. It was the house Chalino bought for his family, the house his widow, Maricela, still lives in. And I was nervous because of the whole Chalino fanboy of it all. (laughs) like I have to record this. Just so that I know that it happened. <sighs> and I'm about to go into his house and talk to his widow. So here I go. We sat at the kitchen table and I asked what she had for breakfast so that I can adjust the levels on my audio recorder.
2: Café con candela.
0: As I was preparing for the interview, I couldn't help but look around. There are gold albums on the walls, those floral couches you'd expect at your abuela's house, and large photos of her late husband Chalino and of her late son Adan. She must have sensed I was nervous because she offered me a glass of water. I accepted it and took a long, slow sip, trying to work up the nerve to tell her that I had researched all the popular theories about his murder. I wanted to ask her about the legends and the legacy, to tell her what Nacho told me about Escobar about my revenge theory, how I believe that I, this hood nerd who used to hide his glasses when he got dropped off at school to try and avoid catching a beatdown, had possibly solved Chalino's nearly 30-year-old cold case. Only Maricela didn't seem interested in that story or in talking about the legacy of the legendary Chalino Sanchez.
2: Cada persona tiene su concepto de Chalino y son muy diversos, eh?
0: She says everyone has their own concept about who Chalino was.
2: Para mucha gente, él fue el narcotraficante. Para otra gente, fue y será el rey del corrido. Para otros, es simplemente una persona con suerte. Pero yo creo que la gente lo ha convertido en lo que ha querido.
0: That there are many ideas about who Chalino was, and that they all basically confirm our own biases. To some people, he was an article. She says. To others, the king of corridos, and some people thought he was just a very lucky guy. But to her, he was so much more than he could have ever been to any of us.
2: Para mí, como esposa enamorada, para mí era lo mejor, mejor padre, el mejor esposo, el mejor amigo, el mejor todo, no, la mejor persona.
0: She says Chalino was her beloved husband, her best friend. The best father, the best person, the best everything. I tried broaching the subject about the real killers. And she says she didn't want to hear it. Not now, and not 30 years ago when it happened.
2: No. Yo no quise escuchar quién fue, ni por qué lo hicieron, ni cuándo lo hicieron, ni cómo lo hicieron. No, ya la verdad estas cosas son muy dolorosas y no, no 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 me interesaron la mera verdad saberlo. A mí lo único que me interesaba era cuidar a mis hijos, proteger a mis hijos y alejarlos de cualquier situación.
0: She said it's too painful and that all she's ever cared about is protecting her family. Maricela has a daughter and grandkids. She's never wanted to know what or who or why or look into the past. She's got her whole family to think about. That's when it really hit me. Chalino's death wasn't just some great mystery. It was this heartbreaking tragedy. And his true legacy, though in ways beautiful and dark and sad and inspirational... Isn't that of an idolo, a mythical icon? It's that of a father, a husband, and a best friend. I tried hard to picture what old man Chalino would look like. Try to imagine him sitting there with his son Adán, maybe some grandkids, getting to answer my questions for himself. He'd recount the Coachella shootout as a riveting tale of survival in true Chalino fashion. Maybe he'd explain what really happened in Culiacán when he was just a teenager hanging out with narcos at a party. But also, maybe he wouldn't have told me any of that. Because if Chalino lived, I don't know. I wonder if he would have meant as much to me as he did. God, I hate to admit that. But that's something I also realized after leaving Marisela Sanchez's home. most basic to me, Chalino was this guy that got out of the hood and made a name for himself. He escaped the violence and poverty so many storytellers in projects, barrios, ranchos, pueblos, and blocks dread so much. And he got out by repping his culture and being super real. Yeah, he told violent stories but they were hood stories. It made him a successful artist and just when he thought he'd really made it out, the violent circle of death that I grew up terrified of got him anyway. I think Chalino's story, even though it's a narco story, is worth telling. But the violence all around the story, hanging over it, there's nothing beautiful about that. And to be honest, I think this might be my last narco story. But damn, it was a good one, wasn't it? The Ballad of Chalino Sanchez.
4: Ánimo mi ya sabe que el rey del corrido solo quedó uno pariente. Una mañana.
0: This podcast is written and reported by Eric Galindo, Alejandro Mendoza, and Juan Diego Ramirez. It's edited by Marlon Bishop and Carmen Graterol, with help from Rodrigo Crespo. It's produced by Juan Diego Ramirez and Liliana Ruiz, with help from Nicole Rothwell, Evelyn Uribe, and Angelina Mosher-Salazar. Executive produced for Sonoro Media by Jasmine Romero and Joshua Weinstein. For Futuro Studios by Marlon Bishop and for Sin Miedo by Eric Galindo. Sound design and mixing by Manuel Para. Original music by Hector Fernandez with the help of Alex Mendoza, Carmen Graterol, Jasmine Romero, myself, Eric Galindo, and Juan Diego Ramirez. Performed by Simon Temoxle, Javier Zabaleta, Junior Arizmendi, Gerardo Albaran, and Leonardo Cano, aka Quinto Surdo. Music supervision by Big Sync special thanks to the Sanchez-Felix family and Simon de Moxley as Chalino Sanchez. I'm your host, Eric Galindo. Peace out!
4: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire! Huh?
1: Ah,